If you've got your, your worship folder, your bulletin, whatever you want to call it, it does have quite a few fill-in-the-blanks. Don't be intimidated by that. I didn't make the words particularly hard to spell. <laughs> um, but we're going to be in Ezekiel, and uh, we're starting um, a sermon on a topic of grief and mourning. And it's not something that I really look forward to. Like I said earlier during my prayer, this week was really hard to even get to work on this sermon. It's not the happy-go-lucky, easy, ABCs of salvation kind of message that, that I have great visual aids for and I'm very excited about. It wasn't like the, first, like the second week where uh, I laid on the floor and then rolled around and acted like a crazy person. Um, in my sermon. Yeah, it's not like that today. Uh, we're, we're discussing the topic of grief and mourning. Uh, and the clear illustration that sets up some, something easy to talk about topics, you know, those types of things I like. And those are easy to talk about, but today, not so much. I, I suppose I can relate to Ezekiel a little bit and our main message today. God probably gave him some of the hardest messages that we will ever have to speak to, wrapped in probably the most challenging circumstances that he'll ever find himself. And today, I alluded to it earlier on in the series, the hard circumstance that he's faced with in this particular passage is the loss of a loved one. The uncomfortable task of speaking on behalf of God, all while there are emotions and turmoil within you. I take it back. Nothing I've gone through specifically comes close to what Ezekiel will go through today. I said in our first message, God was doing some weird stuff. Ezekiel has done the following. He's had to eat a scroll. (laughs) Eat a scroll. Bake bread in public over a cow pie-fueled fire while laying on his side tied down. He publicly gathers all of his things and digs a hole in a city wall in front of people. He also has some slightly easier tasks that we find, rebukes false prophets and compares their deeds to whitewashing, lying for their own benefit, and again, illustrating their lack of good production, people not pursuing their God-given purposes, being that not divine vine. But today is that penultimate story. Next week's our last one for Ezekiel. There's a lot of chapters, but we didn't cover them all, and that's okay. But this character and his personal life were put through the ringer in today's passage. And we'll see if they go through and pass the test. See, in this main passage today, God will take the delight of Ezekiel's eyes away. Ezekiel will experience personal loss and have to cope with his grief in some way. After we look at this, uh, look into chapter 24 of Ezekiel, we'll look at some other stories of grief and loss. David and Bathsheba's first child and how David worked through that same time of his life. Je- Jesus, when he was faced with the death of one of his best friends. And then we'll also conclude today by reflecting on some words that Jesus himself spoke. Words of blessing, even in the midst of mourning. Let's go ahead and look at Ezekiel chapter 24. We'll start at verse 15 and uh, go through, at least for right now, verse 19, but we'll continue on to the other ones here. But 15 through 19, it says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, 
With one blow, I am about to take away from you the delight of your eyes. Yet do not lament or weep or shed any tears. Groan quietly. Do not mourn for the dead. Keep your turban fastened and your sandals on your feet. Do not cover the lower part of your face or eat the customary foods of mourners. So I spoke to the people in the morning, and in the evening, my wife died. The next morning I did as I had been commanded. Then the people asked me, Won't you tell us what these things have to do with us? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So there's a lot of there to unpack. But I want to focus in on just a few main things to begin with. Ezekiel's been commanded by God to do a lot of weird stuff. We mentioned it earlier. But this particular prophecy has to do with Ezekiel's actual personal future. His personal future. People don't usually get that kind of message from God. But Ezekiel does for good reason. It's, and, and, and don't confuse it. People throughout the Bible get confused a little bit. It's not actually a consequence of his, his or his wife's sin. Sometimes there are consequences that lead to death. This is not one of them. It wasn't a consequence for his or his wife's sin. It was something that God, and this is uncomfortable, was making happen. He was taking responsibility. God is ultimately in charge. It struck me, not to make a pun here, but it struck me when it said, with one blow. What could that mean, I thought? Pondered on it, and it seems to insinuate his wife's death will be sudden, swift, like getting sucker punched in the gut. I don't know if you've ever been punched or, or kicked or whatever all of a sudden, and you got the wind knocked out of you. It takes you a little bit to recover, maybe all day, but it happened one particular flash moment. It wasn't prolonged, it was one quick blow. I think that's what we're insinuating here with his wife. Then the strangest part is is that actually that God commands Ezekiel not to mourn his wife, not to mourn his wife, not to weep and wail and look disheveled in public. It was um, normal for normal people, let's put it like that, uh, to let themselves go when they're mourning, perhaps wear all black and, 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 and weep and wail in public. Or maybe just like we read in Job, how he shaved his head and put on sackcloth and sat down in dust and just moaned his, the, mourned the loss of his children. But Ezekiel was not to do this in public. God allows, however, for groaning privately but no public displays. He even tells him, don't eat the bread of mourners. That's an interesting statement. Don't eat the bread of mourners. Is there a special bread? Oh, congratulations, you're mourning. Here's some bread. No, the picture that we get here, it's kind of interesting. Um, I assume all or most of us have been through a loss in our family or life. Some people who don't have the best words or know how to comfort, what do they do? They bake us a something. You know, they bring us... Um, some meals. It's a very practical help as well. When you're grieving, when you're dealing with loss, you don't even feel like making a sandwich, let alone get up out of bed to eat it. And so people 
might bring casseroles or dinners to someone who's suffering a loss. You know, they can barely cope with the great sadness. How are they supposed to make dinner? And so people provide that. So we bring them some food. And God tells Ezekiel this. He tells him to skip the comfort food. Skip the comfort food, Ezekiel. Don't eat the bread of mourners. And if you were told this, if you were told this prophecy that God told to Ezekiel or something similar, what would you do with your day? Would you live in fear? Grieve something that hasn't happened yet? I mean, you could live in fear of, I don't know what it's going to happen, but I'm afraid it's going to happen. Would, would you grieve something that that's, hasn't even happened yet? You know, already be so miserable and sad for the loss that hasn't even occurred. Would you skip work and spend the day with your spouse? Ezekiel wasn't given a timeline, so he goes about his usual routine, right? He has a message from God from actually earlier in the chapter, if you want to do some homework on your, on your own, for the people. The cooking pot, chapter 24, starts at verse 1. And, uh, and so he presents that message to the people, that prophecy, in the morning, it says. And then time passes, right? And as evening rolls around, his wife passes too. The next part of this story is the most remarkable thing. He gets up the next morning and does as the Lord commanded him. Combs his hair, puts on his shoes, doesn't weep and or wail, stays away from sympathy food, keeps his turban nicely wrapped around his head, and it's like it's just another day. But the people picked up on this strange behavior. They must have thought, you're not wailing, mourning. You act as nothing has changed, though it had. What gives? What's going on, Ezekiel? Now, you and I, we've been following Ezekiel for the last now six weeks this week. God delivers messages through Ezekiel's actions. We've seen it time and time again. The people are starting to catch this, catch on to Ezekiel's break in normal grieving protocol must mean something. This is an illustration. He's using this as an opportunity to teach us something. I wonder what it is. Well, we continue on at verse 20. So I said to them, the word of the Lord came to me. Say to the house of Israel, This is what the sovereign Lord says. I'm about to desecrate my sanctuary, the stronghold in which you take pride, the delight of your eyes. Note that term is used here for the temple as well as for his wife. The delight of your eyes, the object of your affection, the sons and daughters you left behind will fall by the sword. And you will do as I've done you will not cover the lower part of your face or eat the customary foods of mourners, food of mourners. You will keep your turbans on your heads and your sandals on your feet. You will not mourn or weep, but will waste away because of your sins and groan among yourselves. Ezekiel will be assigned to you. You will do just as he has done. When this happens, you will know that I am the sovereign Lord. There's that term again. You will know that I am the sovereign Lord. It keeps popping up in these prophecies. Just want to point that out. So God is warning the people, you will suffer a great loss and you will not be able to mourn properly for you brought it on yourself. You see, they'll be in exile. 
not able to publicly mourn the desecration of the temple, the loss of their children, the loss of generations. And so Ezekiel, even through his own loss, was a sign to them of their future loss, a foreshadowing of how the people would behave when the delight of their eyes was taken from them, their place of worship, their sovereign land, their future. Pretty heavy stuff. And I don't plan on throwing any jokes in here, so I thought I'd just say this as a nice little point of levity. This is rough stuff. This is horribly rough stuff, but it's real. And it's not just us that experiencing, experiences it, but it is hard for us to see when we're in the middle of our own loss, anybody else's. But let's move on to one of the other hardest things that you may ever have to do. It's a story that comes from 2 Samuel 12. You see, grief is not limited to just the loss of a spouse. The loss of a child is a terrible thing to go through. How much worse must it have been for King David to know that his sin was directly responsible for the death of his son? You know, a lot of people, when they're trying to make a bargain with God, they're going through the stages of grief. Um, and they, they maybe they blame themselves for, well, if I had just done this and that and that, then they would have never, this would have never happened. And a lot of those things, it's just a coping mechanism. It doesn't really actually connect. But here, he had Nathan tell him as a direct response to your disobedience and your sin, there will be consequences. And David was told that his son would die. He was told other things, but after he repented, Nathan said, your son's going to die. And so the child was stricken with sickness. And in verse 16, chapter 12, and then 17, it says, David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent the nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused and he would not eat any food with them. This is very opposite of what we just heard from Ezekiel. He's got a very public display and people are trying to stop him from from. Look at a fool, and he's the king. And he refuses, and he wouldn't eat anything. He was a desperate man, a tortured man. He did whatever he could to persuade God to change his mind, as if that was a thing you could actually do. Verses 18 and 19 continue. On the seventh day, the child died. David's attendants were afraid to tell him that his child was dead, for they thought while the child was still living, he wouldn't listen to us when, he, when we spoke to him. How can we tell him his chi- the child is dead? He may do something desperate. David noticed that his attendants were whispering among themselves. And he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. Then David, in the midst of, this, of his stages of grief, does something way different than most people would do. He jumps over several of them and he moves all the way to acceptance. He moves all the way to acceptance, which is one of the stages of grief. In verses 20 through 24, it says this, Then David got up from the ground 
After he'd washed, he put on lotions and changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. The first thing he does after he gets himself clean is goes and worships. Doesn't even eat first. (laughs) Then he went to his own house and at his request, they served him food and he ate. Verse 21, his attendants asked him, why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but now the child is dead. You get up and eat. How cold are you? How could you? How dare you? They must be thinking. He he answered, verse 22, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will, go with him. I will go to him, but he will not return to me. First part of the next verse says, then David comforted his wife, Bathsheba. Some bizarre behaviors. Some bizarre behaviors, right? Questions are asked and then answered. And then, just like with Ezekiel, hopefully someone learns something. With Ezekiel, here's your destination and here's what it's gonna look like because of your disobedience, because you wanted it your way and not my way, says the Lord. Here's the consequence, David. Here's the consequence, and when I say something's gonna happen, it's gonna happen. Let's jump forward. Let's jump forward in time into the New Testament. One of the most famous Bible verses that everybody memorizes yet it has the hardest time telling the address. The address is those numbers that come with it, the book of the Bible that you find it in. I gave you a, a cheat sheet there because it's already written there. But John eleven thirty five. I had to actually Google it because I, I knew it was a combination of 35 and 11, but I couldn't remember which and what book. Shortest book in the, shortest verse in the whole Bible. But yet it shows a strange type of mourning. Jesus, the Son of God, wept. I just want to summarize the context of this verse here because before the waterworks, before Jesus wept, what happened? Well, Jesus was told his friend Lazarus was deathly sick. Jesus waited two more days before heading to see him. It's not usually something that you do, by the way. If somebody is deathly sick and you only have a few moments left with them, you, you stop whatever you're doing and you go and see them. Anyway, Jesus waited two more days before heading to see him. Then Jesus tells his disciples that Lazarus is dead. And then they're like, okay, well, let's go. Let's go die with him. Let's go die with Jesus. Mourn with Jesus over Lazarus, Lazarus as they go to see him. Now we fast forward to Jesus being greeted by both Mary and Martha, Martha and Mary, uh, one at a time. And each of them professes that if Jesus had just been there, their brother wouldn't have died. We have faith in you that you could have done something if you were only around, Jesus. (laughs) But here's the series of events right before Jesus wept. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her, Mary, weeping, When Jesus saw her weeping, the Jews and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. 
Jesus is not cold to our feelings and emotions. He's not cold to our feelings and emotions. In fact, he has them and experiences them too. He was troubled and moved in the spirit. He has shown where his best friend was laid to rest. He full knew what he was going to do. I find this very interesting. He full knew what he was going to do when he headed to see Lazarus. He knew he'd call him out of the, out of the tomb, raise him to life again. But yet, but yet, John eleven thirty five, 35, Jesus wept. Jesus felt sorrow for loss. Jesus was moved by the mourning of others. Get that. Jesus was moved by other people's mourning. It touches his spirit and it shows how he felt. So Jesus wept. David prayed, fasted, moaned, and cried until his son died. And Ezekiel groaned silently. All doing exactly what they were to do. All expressing grief in the way that seemed appropriate for them and their situation. Now, could Ezekiel have done something more if God hadn't given him the parameters? Probably. But in their situation, in their particular life, they expressed grief in different ways that seemed appropriate to them. Good grief. Every time I hear this phrase, I think of Charlie Brown. Let's think of happy moments for a moment. Charlie Brown, good grief. But if you stop and think too much about that, those two words, how is grief really good? Started a Bible study on version today. Um, and if you're uh, on version, you want to join me, you're welcome to. It's only for five days, five or seven days. Um, but it is talking about, it is titled Good Grief. And it is uh, about the process of grief and, and how it helps us. And I'm going to be learning more about it. So if you want to join me, that's fine. I would love to have you there. But grief, most of us avoid it like the plague. I think we actually avoid the plague more because then we'd have more grief, but we avoid it. We don't want to feel those feelings. When faced with terrible situation or loss, how do you and I process that loss? Perhaps you do, and I've got a multiple choice question for you in, in your bulletin. Maybe you just break down and cry. Let's be honest with yourself. You could circle letter A. Maybe you stand still stoic and strong for others. Maybe you're right there for other people to lean on. You don't feel the same emotions that they do, but you're still grieving. And part of your process is to be strong for someone else. It's okay. Maybe you actively seek out opportunities to comfort others. However you handle it, listen to this. However you handle it, God's got a handle on your grief. However you handle it, God's got a handle on your grief. He doesn't leave us alone to sulk by ourselves. In a message that was profound as it was poetic, Jesus declares unusual groups of people are blessed. Specifically, let's look at Matthew 5, verse 4. You might know this passage called the Beatitudes, Particularly, this verse says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. This one seems like a, well, duh, 
situation. Of course, if you aren't mourning, grieving, you don't need to be comforted. But the deeper truth is, is that wherever there is hurting, comforting is waiting to swoop in and do what it does best. I have, I do have a visual aid today. And uh, Haley, you can help me with this one? Yeah. Uh, this isn't the biggest blanket that we own, but it is the one that I brought. So, <laughs> go Cubs. Anyway, uh, big blankets, sometimes the ones that go on your bed, uh, they might be fluffy. We might have quilts, we might have bed sheets, but there's this other piece of fabric that a lot of us, especially in the cold north, we like to have, and it's called a comforter. And a comforter isn't just a, a fancy thing that goes on your bed and makes it look pretty, although it might do that. A comforter is there to comfort you. And how it does that, face, it, face people that way, is it wraps you up like this, I mean, probably not like this, but you get the idea. And when the girls were really little, share, share a little story, we'd tuck them in and we'd find different ways to do it. And the girls always would be tucked in or wrapped up like a mermaid or one of my favorites or other people's favorites was a burrito. And you wrap them up like this and tuck them in real nice. Three seconds after out the door, I'm sure it was destroyed. But I would like make noises and like put cheese in it or something like that, or in Gianna's case, broccoli. Um, but anyway, we would wrap them up real tight like that. Comforters are like a hug <laughs> that you wear, if you will. And do you feel nice and warm? Yeah. Do you feel comfortable? <laughs> kind of, I was too hot. Okay, well thank you. Let's give her a big hand. Thank you, Kaylee. Demonstrating how to wear a blanket, but <laughs> comforters. They're there to bring you comfort. I want you to picture the Holy Spirit. And in this moment of someone's loss and grief, they feel all alone. They feel out in the cold. But what they, what they really need is for the comforter to do what the comforter does best. It's to wrap them up in his loving arms. I'm here. You're safe. It's okay to cry. It's okay to be stoic. It's okay to not be okay because I got you and I love you. But the question that we have to ask ourselves when we're going through loss and there's more names that aren't even on our board today. There are pictures in your mind right now people you've lost years past. Will you let him? Will you let him wrap his loving arms around you and comfort you? It seems like, of course I will. But many people don't want that because they feel like they can just get by on their own. They don't need to stop I've got too much going on in my life. No, you don't. Stop. Grieve. Mourn. Even if it's by yourself, you're not by yourself. Ezekiel, even though he didn't have the community of believers around him, supporting him in his loss, they were just like, why are you acting weird? God was right there, being that comforter as he groaned privately. It's okay to do so.
So as we, as we go about our life, we will unfortunately experience more loss and grief. Will we allow him to wrap us up in his arms? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Holy Spirit, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you for loving us. But it's not just in words. It's not just in resources, though you do both of those things. But it is an actual comfort. When we are processing a loss, and our world will never be the same after it, recognizing that is one of the first steps, of course. But we can move closer and closer towards accepting as we allow you to come behind us and wrap us up in your arms. I pray that for each and every one of us today. No grief and pain do we have to keep on our own shoulders or tucked deep in the recesses of our own hearts. We can share it with you. We can allow the community of believers to bear it amongst ourselves with you, Lord. We can be lifted up. And you can make our grief into goodness today. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.